Hello, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, Episode 78. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, self-help, and modern science with a special emphasis on the great 19th century philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. In this episode, I will be discussing the fascinating concept of synchronicity once again. And note that we've covered this several times here before, particularly in episode 30 and 52, if you want to go back and refresh uh, uh, your memory on, on what we've covered previously. But the reason I'm talking about it again is I believe I have some important new insights on this subject, which I want to share. Just to refresh your memory, synchronicity is a term coined by Carl Jung to describe meaningful coincidences that, that occur with no physical causation. From a materialistic standpoint, they are acausal, but from a psychological standpoint, they are very meaningful. Now, we all have these experiences to some extent at, at some time times in our lives, and and what I'm going to be asserting is that synchronicity is indeed a real thing. It's not just a, a statistical fluke. And I'll, I intend to show in more detail in this episode how it actually works. Now, I'm well aware emp empirical science would say, oh, this is just a nice story, and things like uh, meaningful consequences are bound to happen every once in a while, just given the billions of events that occur each day, you know, in, in, uh, in every minute. Now, of course, given the pure materialism of much of modern science today, it's, synchronicity is not accepted. Um, that's because many scientists today, the current paradigm is that at the bottom level, only inert things exist, only matter exists, and they only move by being influenced by some other material force or object. Now, as I've covered here often, this paradigm is contradicted by several empirical observations in quantum physics, demonstrated the non-local effects of subatomic particles, and that the, the, the definite location of these particles can only be ascertained when measured or observed. And these quantum physics findings are an anomaly, as we covered here so often, because traditional science, the current paradigm, views mind or psyche as an epiphenomenon of matter, and it somehow mind arises from matter by some unknown un, unknown process, but it is matter based. Matter is all there is, according to that belief. But my take is this is a very limiting worldview and only takes into account about half of what is going on here. Part of my reasoning that it is true comes in part from Hegel's philosophy, where substance is indeed subject, that mind and matter are two aspects of the same thing. And what is interesting here is that in the universe, it is not only matter and blind forces that act on matter, but mind does as well, and not only on the individual level, such as when I want to move my arm, but on the macro-holistic level in addition. And this is what's going on with synchronicity. In fact, I believe it is synchronistic events in our lives that actually demonstrate this unity of the mental and the material universe. That's my conclusion anyway. And it's not just that they're forged together, but they are complementary aspects of a single absolute reality. And this single absolute reality cannot be reached either through the mind avenue or the matter avenue. It's inaccessible through empirical research or from pure thought alone. To use a visual analogy, it is the circle that surrounds the yin-yang symbol. And here we can see 
the, the yin or the yang, but we cannot get to the circle from either the yin or the yang alone. And this is a key part of Hegel's system where he repeatedly points out identity and differences. And importantly as well, this corresponds to the complementary principle in quantum physics, which as I said, one cannot know position and momentum at the same time of a subatomic particle. Same thing, we, we, we can't describe a particle by wave at the same time we describe it as a particle. You choose one or the other, you can't have both. And I contend that synchronicity is a manifestation of this fact in our universe. Now, I aware, very much aware, I did a lot of work in statistics in my business career. There are, of course, random coincidences that occur that we notice. Um, if you flip a coin 10 times in a row and it comes up 10 times head, that may not be a synchronistic event. On the other hand, it may be, but that, that can happen. There's a, you can figure out the formula for the chances that that would happen. But synchronistic events are different. They, they attach a meaning to the, to the coincidence. And they, they demonstrate that the material universe and the mind are part of one and the same thing. And how this works is it's more than just our individual consciousness, as we've covered before. Below our ego and our persona, there are deeper layers of consciousness, and it goes deeper until we reach a collective unconscious, which we all share. And we covered how this works specifically in episode 49, one of the most popular of the podcast. And it's this broader collective unconscious that, that can have influence on material events. Now, I realize this is a very big statement. Of that, I'm well aware. And also, this does not imply pure telekinesis, where an individual mind can move matter on demand, such as making a spoon bend just by thinking about it. There was a guy, Yuri Geller, back in the 60s and 70s. He, he had a magic trick that he claimed to, he was able to do that. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is mind working together with matter on a collective basis. And that is what's going on with synchronicity. Let me explain how it works. I contend that there is a psychic component to all matter that can harmonize on a macro level with the matter it is part of to produce meaningful results to an observing mind in the world. That the mind and matter are harmonizing, if you will. And again, this is not mind controlling matter as in telekinesis, but the structure of the universe that appears to us, which shows us that it understands what is meaningful to us. This is what's going on. Now, we may not always understand what it means, like in a dream. Dreams can be very insightful and tell us a lot, but oftentimes they're tough to figure out. But what, what we do know when we experience synchronicity is that the meaningful coincidence is clear right before our eyes. Now, let me relate to you three examples. Two of them are personal, and one is from the world of entertainment regarding synchronicity. The first personal one is, is as follows. As you know, my name is Gregory Novak. What you may not know is that I've had a long career in marketing research uh, doing, doing surveys for corporations. And I was president of my own marketing research company for 23 years before retiring. And I grew up in a town of Brighton, New York in the U.S., which is a suburb of Rochester, New York. And one day while I was still working, when I still had my company, I was looking for a particular new service to support my business. And I called a very large marketing research firm in Rochester because they thought they could help me. I was surprised to see that they were actually located in Brighton, the town where I grew up. 
And when I called them and I said who I was, Gregory Novak, the person on the phone thought I was joking. I, I said, what do you mean? I'm not joking. I'm Gregory Novak. What's so funny about that? The person on the phone said, well, that's the same name of the president of our company. Our company's president is Gregory Novak. Now, they perhaps thought I was playing a joke, but it turned out it wasn't a joke. I wasn't joking, and the, the president of their company was Gregory Novak. They had a different Gregory Novak as president of their marketing research company, and the, that company happened to be located in my hometown. Two Gregory Novaks, both presidents of marketing research companies, and the company of one of them is the hometown of the other. That is synchronicity, but it gets better. I looked up this other Gregory Novak on the company's website and found his bio. He was about my age, and he was born in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in the U.S. And guess what? Yep, you probably did. That's where I was born as well. Now, just a random coincidence or is something more going on here? My name is not the most common of names, and what are the chances the two Gregory Noveks born in Johnstown, PA, would end up both as president of marketing research firms with a strong connection to the same suburban town? It is statistically possible, of course, that it could happen by random. But what synchronicity shows is that this was a very meaningful coincidence for me. And that, that's what synchronicity is. Now, there was another example. There was a dinner party that my wife and I held many years ago. And we invited two couples over to the house for dinner. And they didn't know each other. We knew they didn't know each other. One couple was a neighbor and the other were parents of one of my children's friends. And it's always nice to introduce people together at a, at a dinner party, we felt. So they both came, they were introduced, things were proceeding smoothly. And then I went out to the deck to light up the grill. And one of the men came out and said, you're not going to believe this, but I nearly came to blows with that other guy here today. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, no, we were both driving in town and our cars almost hit each other in an intersection. We were both yelling at each other and we got out of our cars. We raised our fists. We didn't come to blows, but there was a lot of yelling and cursing. Now, I was stunned. All I could say was, wow, I'm sorry about that. But he seemed to be getting along now okay. And my friend said, yeah, you know, he won't bring it up. Don't worry. So, And then, lo and behold, 10 minutes later, the other friend male approached me privately and said the same thing. And he said he would also behave properly for the rest of the evening and not bring it up. And no one did. And they acted like nothing happened earlier that afternoon. Now, this is a remarkable case of, of synchronicity for me, and I'm, I'm sure for them. Can you imagine? And in fact, my wife went through the whole evening and did not know a thing. And it wasn't until I told her afterward what had happened. So that's an interesting thing. It just goes to show, be careful, you know, who you get in fight, almost fights with. Now, there's one pretty famous story of synchronicity. I previously told this back in episode 52, but let me share it again because it's so remarkable. The actor Anthony Hopkins was hired to play a role in a movie based on a certain book, and he needed a copy of the book. He was living in the outskirts of London at the time and took the train into the city to find and buy it. This is obviously before Amazon. Once there, he could not find his book anywhere and decided to return home. While waiting for the train, he saw a discarded book on a bench and glanced at it. And lo and behold, it was the book he was looking for. That alone would qualify as a major synchronistic event. But as usual, there is more. The story gets better. 
And glancing through the book, he noticed there were handwritten notes in the margin describing some of the character's reaction. And he took it to the movie set when filming began, brought the copy to the set. And during the production, the director told Hopkins that he he was missing his book, that he had lent it to a friend, and the friend had lost it. Now he doesn't have the book. It's hard to find. So he, he saw Hopkins had a copy. He said, I wonder if I could use your copy while we're doing the filming. Hopkins said, of course. And he handed it to the director. The director looked at it, and to his astonishment, it was the very same book the director had lent to his friend that his friend had lost. And he knew it because it was his very notes in the margins. And that's synchronicity. Now, here's an important thing about this. Hegel famously said that absolutely everything is both immediate and mediated. This includes God and anything else. And my contention is that it is in the immediacy of the moment that there is a mediation of mind and nature. And in this immediacy of the moment, they come together as one. It is not a link, but a unity, one thing. And in this immediate moment, mind and matter are one. It's like the present now moment. Meaning is contained in the immediate moment, the melding of mind and matter, and also everything else is going on around us. And it it's not just as our individual mind and the, our, the material world that's surrounding us, but through us, our minds are connected in the collective unconscious, and also our physical surroundings are also not isolated from the rest of the world. So each moment is a connection to the all. We experience it individually, but it is connected to the whole. Now, we discussed a similar concept regarding the present moment in episode 71 on Bergson, where our perception of things brings a unity to mind and nature. And we need our memory within the mind to make a meaningful understanding of what we are perceiving in the moment. So in the immediate moment, mind meets matter through memory and through perception. Jung, with his synchronicity, takes a position endorsed by Plato, Hegel, and many others that mind is just as fundamental as matter and that there's a unity beneath them both. And this is a very far cry from the naturalistic, materialistic paradigm that's currently in vogue in the scientific community. So... To summarize, this synchronicity is a startling different position than current traditional science, where it it contends that only the laws of nature are operating, and that the mind can only observe and operate within those laws. And there's nowhere, I believe, that this unity, the synchronicity, the unity of mind and, and matter is made more clear than in the ancient Chinese text, the I Ching. So I want to briefly get into this. I know we've talked about this before, but so fascinating. Jung felt that the I Ching was a very important example of synchronicity. He even wrote the introduction to the premier version of the I Ching, which is the Wilhelm Baines version. And interestingly, 17th century mathematician and philosopher Gottfried Leibniz was also taken by the I Ching and felt it demonstrated his theory of pre-established harmony of the mind and of matter. The I Ching goes way back. It's also called the Book of Changes. It goes back to 1000 BCE, approximately. It was originally a fortune-telling method, but it evolved over the centuries to become a major cosmological text with philosophical commentaries. Now, here's how it works. First, someone should have a meaningful situation that they need help with. It should just not be a quick question like, well, what should I wear today? I'll ask the I Ching. Now, it should be an important issue that one has explored different possible answers for, has done much pondering on it, and one feels that they could benefit from some outside help. It's almost like something you would go to seek a therapist for. Now, 
with the question firmly in mind, when one's in the proper state of mind, alone, clear-headed, and not rushed, the I Ching reading is produced. This is accomplished by either throwing some 50 arrow sticks on the ground or the simple manner of throwing three coins on the ground. With the arrow stick method, a series of steps are taken to produce six lines, as they are called. Using the coins method, a much simpler approach, one would throw the three coins a total of six times and record how they came up, heads or tails, each time. So there'd be a total of six lines. Now, for each throw of three coins, you could have either three tails and no heads, two tails and one head, one tail and two heads, or no tails and three heads. So there are four different possibilities for each line. Once thrown, a simple calculation then is done. Heads represent a value of two, tails a value of three. You add the three together, and you end up with a total of either six, seven, eight, or nine. If the total is six or eight, an even number, it's considered a divided line, a yin line. If the total is an odd number, seven or nine, the line is considered a solid line or a yang line. And further, each line can be moving, a moving line or not. If the line totals six, three heads, or nine, three tails, it's considered a moving line. And I'll explain what this means in a second. And yang seven and yin eight are considered non-moving lines. Being a moving line means that it's in the process of changing into its opposite. So a six will change into a nine and a nine will change into a six. But you don't get to that point of the change until you've done the initial hexagram reading. So the first throw is the bottom line. The first you know, three coin throw is the bottom line. And you work your way up, the last throw being the sixth line at the top. And if there are any moving lines within the six, you make note of it for a, a second reading, which will be done after you've analyzed the first. So with four possibilities for each line and six total lines, this results in four to the power of six, or 4,096 different possible readings. And each reading is a story in itself. There are pictorial images representing the situation as well as a detailed description of what is occurring. And advice is given on how to best handle the situation. And special attention is given to the moving lines as the most pointed direction. Now, after you've fully analyzed the situation in the first hexagram and figured out what you need to do based on the advice it gives you, you see if there are any moving lines and you create a second hexagram by changing the moving line into its opposite, a yin to a yang and vice versa. The second hexagram represents the result of the action you plan to take as a result of the first hexagram. So it's sort of a look into the future. Um, here's the situation. Here's what you're going to do. And if you do this, here's what you can expect. Now, what has intrigued people about the I Ching is the wisdom that's contained in these writings, and it's quite an, an astounding philosophical tract, in my view. Confucius studied it. Taoism has strong roots in, in the I Ching. In fact, Confucius is said to have said that if he had another 50 years to live, he would spend it doing nothing other than studying the I Ching. And as I said, it's not just an open Q&A process which spits out a reading. It's a person should have a clear question in mind, meditate on it all, and give it much thought before consulting the I Ching. Then they will get a rich reading. And what happens is with this deep thinking about the question at the time that the coins are thrown, this connects the physical act with the question itself. It unites the mind with matter. And the, the actual how the coins fall down is, a, is the perfect moment of that meeting. And that's what's really going on here. Now, it's important to have an open mind when consulting the I Ching and a negative mind or a closed mind. 
thinking it's a joke, it's, it, won't, it won't work properly. And, and again, it doesn't give precise answers. It gives, presents pictures and stories, and it, it puts you into the story and the situation presented to allow you to see what needs to be done. It does give some recommendations, but it's very, it's very rich in terms of the stories. And uh, you can see how, how the advice will fit into your situation. You can see the parallels. Let me quote here Jung from the, the, his foreword to the Wilhelm Bain's translation of the I Ching. Let me quote him. It's pretty interesting. Quote, while the Western mind carefully sifts, weighs, selects, classifies, isolates, the Chinese picture of the moment encompasses everything down to the minutest nonsensical detail because all of the ingredients make up the observed moment. The ancient Chinese mind contemplates the cosmos in a way comparable to that of the modern physicist who cannot deny that his model of the world is a decidedly psychophysical structure. The microphysical event includes the observer just as much as the reality underlying the I Ching comprises subjective, i.e. psychic conditions in the totality of the momentary situation, end quote. That, that describes it in a nutshell. So Jung is saying that every specific moment not only has causal relations, but meaning relations as well. And he compares this to the findings of, of quantum physics. In, you know, in, in other words, in the thinking that's going on in our mind at the specific moment we throw the I Ching coins will result in the coins producing the exact right reading for that situation. Why? Because they occurred at the same moment. Mind and matter meet. They are part of the same psychophysical moment. And so is the question. I've been consulting the I Ching on and off my entire adult life, and I found it extremely helpful to me, and particularly when I was setting out in the world after I graduated from college. I highly recommend it, and I can honestly say I've never had a bad or meaningless experience with it. Now, as Jung's pointing out with quantum physics, this, this collapsing of the probability wave in, in quantum physics also has a correspondence here when mind meets matter. Also, the, the non-local spooky action in the distance of subatomic particles when measured is the same thing. And so clearly the, the link is there. And synchronicity, though, shows it on the macro level, not just on the subatomic particle level. And again, for more on quantum physics, please go back to episode 28, where we get into all this in, in detail. So to summarize, Jung believed that the mental and the material arise as two complementary aspects of one underlying psychophysical reality. This reality also lies beyond the bounds of empirical research in the material world. And just an interesting point, finally, analytic philosopher Bertrand Russell held a somewhat similar position, believe it or not, with this theory, which is now deemed Russellian monism. And of course, this is a notion I've been harping on here in many episodes because it's central to Hegel's project. So what does this all mean for us? Well, I do believe that synchronistic events can serve as a guide to us, and it's important to take notice of them. They can be heads up in certain situations. They can also point to new avenues of thinking. They can open one up to bigger patterns that might be playing out in a person's life. They can lead to personal growth and to better understanding of ourselves and our place in the world. And lastly, they can remind one to keep an open mind about possibilities that might be out there, it, and which is why it's so important for our own self-fulfillment and achieving our goals in life. So that is a wrap for this episode. I know we've covered a very interesting topic here. I look forward to your comments. Thanks so much for listening once again. And again, I apologize for the extra time between this and the previous episode. It was the holidays, and I really wanted to wrap my mind around this to get it right for this episode. So 
I appreciate your patience. And thank you for continuing to listen to The Cunning of Geist. As always, please, I recommend that you like and follow the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. I post there almost every day in between episodes, and listeners can comment and ask questions when we get, get into good discussions there. Don't forget to tell your like-minded friends about The Cunning of Geist, and please share these episodes on your own social media accounts. So, in closing, let me once again end by saying, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.